Barno Lifeway and Pew Research that all say we lose about 70% of our young people before they graduate high school. One shocking statistic that uh, has just been released by Dr. George Barna is uh, that only 12% of children's ministry workers and youth leaders in Christian churches have a nominal biblical worldview. Like it's that bad, only 12%. Those are the ones who are teaching our young people and our youth. And I think that explains an awful lot. Welcome to the Creation Today Show, where we bring together interviews with experts and solid Bible teaching. Your host, Eric Hovind, affirms the ultimate authority of God's Word, the truth of creation, and why it matters to you. Well, one thing you do not want to hear when you meet your Maker is this. He chose poorly. <laughs> no, you certainly do not want to hear that. That's what we call a bad thing. You, my friend, would want to hear something a little more like this. You have chosen wisely. Uh, wisely. Hey, today, I want you to choose wisely. This is really important. Think about this. Why do 70 to 80% of kids that grow up in the church walk away from Christianity after their first year of college? Let me tell you what I think. I think it's because 70 to 80% of kids who grow up in the church are not Christians when they go off to college. My guest today is taking this epidemic, if I can call it that, very seriously, so seriously that it's driven him to write many books travel and speak around the world, and do everything he can, use his life to influence families for the glory of God. He's the author of Questions God Asks, Questions Jesus Asks, Pitching a Fit, Overcoming Angry and Stressed Out Parenting, Education, Does God Have an Opinion, Answers for Homeschoolers, Raise Them Up, Parenting for Christians, Foundations in Faith and Foundations in Truth, and he's the editor for ChristianWorldview.net and the founder of Family Renewal. So I'm, I'm really excited to have him on the program to discuss this with me. Ladies and gentlemen, here to help me uh, discuss the secrets of the lost art in Christian education, Mr. Israel Wayne. Israel, thanks for joining me today. Now, Eric, my friend, it's great to be back with you. I love having you on the show, and I love that you've dedicated your life to understanding these truths and sharing them with the world today. So uh, thank you for, how many years in, in ministry is this? Because I think we're pretty similar. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually about 31 years in now. Okay, you got me beat. I guess you got me beat by a couple years. Uh, Israel, today though, we've got a lot of young people that are not grounded in their own faith. They don't have a real foundation of their own. We are missing something. And now you study this with a passion, both as like just out of passion and now as a career, like this is what you do. Can you just tell me what's going on in, in, in our culture? Give us an overview of, of families, parenting, culture, what's happening today. Well, I think in many ways, my church experience is probably typical of many of us. I went to a middle of the road evangelical Christian church. Uh, I've got a couple of them actually, but uh, similar experiences in each where uh, went to Sunday school, heard a few Bible stories, ate a lot of cookies and drank a lot of Kool-Aid, uh, you know, colored some pictures of Noah's Ark and David and Goliath. And, you know, we heard we heard a little little bit of tidbits here and there, Daniel in the lion's den, right? And then got to the teen years, and it became just more of a, 
an opportunity to try to impress us with how cool our youth leaders were and 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 how hip they were and how knowledgeable they were about pop culture and so you know we we went to concerts and we went roller skating and skiing and had lots of outings and played volleyball and ate a lot of uh, a lot of chips and drank Pepsi and you ate know pizza yeah pizza lots of pizza right and yeah I think I was seventeen before I really even knew what apologetics was and I found that by accident outside of the church um, I didn't know anything about church history really had never been taught systematic theology. And so I think we have a generation of parents who are not discipling their children because they think, but our children are growing up in church. They're in Sunday school. They're in junior church. They're in youth group. They're, they're getting taught the Bible. Uh, so they're getting their academics at school. They're getting their spiritual formation at church. You know, our job is to work and bring home money to pay the bills. And so what's happening is that these young people are simply not being discipled, even though the parents think they are at church. What? And, and, and you agree, like you've seen the stats and you pay attention to some of the stats you've sent me kind of ahead of time before some of what's coming. Like, look what we just found out, man, this isn't released, but look at these stats and what's going on. Like, tell me where we've been and where we're at statistically. Yeah. Well, as you said, you know, you have groups like Barna Lifeway and Pew Research that all say we lose about 70% of our young people before they graduate high school. Uh, one shocking statistic that uh, has just been released by Dr. George Barna uh, here within the last like six months is uh, that only 12% of children's ministry workers and youth leaders in Christian churches have a nominal biblical worldview. Like, like they will only 12% will basically sign your church's statement of faith. Like it's that bad, wow. only 12%. And, I think and these are the leaders leading the kids and the youth. Yes, those are the ones who are teaching our young people and our youth. And, you know, I think uh, when I think about all the churches that I've been a part of over the years, I've never known any that actually have like a biblical literacy test that they require their teaching staff to go through, particularly with children and youth, before they're qualified to teach. It's usually like if you're a warm body and you won't say no, you get to do it. And so we have people who are completely unqualified to be teaching Bible doctrine to children or youth, and yet they're doing it. And so we're seeing the results of that, I think, in a lot of ways. But but again, just to be clear, uh, nowhere in the scripture does it tell us that it's the youth pastor or Sunday school teacher's job to disciple our children. It's our job to disciple our children. So it really is on us as parents. Bingo. And I'm glad you mentioned that. You've got a brand new book out called Foundational foundational Truths, A Modern Catechism. And I want to give away several copies of your book today, okay? So here's what we're going to do. Uh, Israel and I are going to discuss this book and why these foundational truths are what you need to be instilling in your children's lives, okay? Incredible book. And I want to give away copies. If you want to enter to win a copy of this book, all you have to do is put a definition of catechism in the chat right now, okay? We're going to treat this kind of like that game Balderdash, and it's the game you uh, you make up a definition and you try to get other people to believe your definition. So uh, actually thinking about it, the worst definition you give, probably the better chances you have of winning this because it, it means the ladies are going to read those, they're going to laugh at you and go, he needs this book, okay? So come up with a really creative, good definition for the word catechism. Because I Israel, I dare say there's a lot of people that may not even know what the word means yet 
uh, I, I would think. So don't give it away yet either, okay? Don't give away the word, uh, what the definition is quite yet. Uh, we'll let you guys come up with something unique, and, uh, and that will enter you to win uh, his brand new book, Foundational Truths, A Modern Catechism. Um, Israel, I got to say, um, you have 11 kids. You speak to, is it still 11? You yeah. didn't have another one. Did yeah, we have no, 11. 11. Okay, yeah. Uh, you speak to families all the time. Why this book? Because uh, I get it. This this book represents a whole lot of time and energy. And, and I doubt this is going to put you on the New York Times bestseller list, okay? I mean, you could have spent your time doing something that would have been really, quote, popular. But it seems to me like you have a deeper reason, a, a deeper purpose behind going I'm going to focus a lot of time and energy on this. Can you tell me about that? Well, I have spent really, you know, over 30 years trying to encourage parents to disciple their children. I mean, that's been the heart of what I've done. I've I've had a lot of um, materials that I've produced, but it, it tends to go back to that. And uh, I, I just feel like our, our ministry is called Family Renewal. And uh, let me back up a minute. You know, when I was a teenager, um, I had a heart for evangelism, and I used to go out and do uh, evangelistic uh, outreaches for teenagers and go to places where teens would hang out. I had a radio show that I was developing for teenagers when I was just a teenager and uh, did a lot of uh, focus on youth ministry and things like that. And what I realized was like we were getting them too late. Um, And this is another thing George Barna just pointed out uh, that was that blew my mind uh, in his latest book. He said that a child's worldview is essentially locked down by the age of 12. Whoa. Now, that just took my mind and like a whole, like, take it apart and, you know, hopefully you can put it back together. But he said, we can look at a child by age 12 and tell you what they'll be doing, what they'll be believing at the age of 67. Statistically. Wow. And he said, not not prophetically, you know, because obviously right. the Holy Spirit is involved, right? And and God changes people's hearts all the time. So we thank God for that. But he's saying statistically, there's a trajectory, and the trajectory is typically set by age 12. So, you know, taking some of those things into consideration, I'm just seeing how important it is that we start earlier. Because uh, you know where most ministries that do worldview training start? 13 high school. or high yeah, school, yeah. you know? And so... Uh, but what we're finding is it's really too late to start then. We have to start earlier. And so th- th- this really came out of a desire for us to create quality resources that are going to help us to be able to disciple the next generation, be-, be getting much younger. I think a lot of parents right now, they actually pull the Indiana Jones that we kind of modeled this show after. They pull the Indiana Jones like trick, you know, I don't know if you remember. He's like, he's asked if he knows what he's doing. He's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm making this up as I go. And I think we got a lot of parents making this up as they go, and they really could use discipleship resources to say, hang on, let's just start at a foundational level, ground one, boom, 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 boom. And that's why I think something like this is is so critical and so important. Yeah, for sure. And I didn't grow up in a church tradition that utilized the catechism. It was not something that I was raised with. So it's as foreign to me, you know, really— coming into my adult years as it is for everybody else. Um, and, and I do want to say, I, hopefully I'm not going to get too far ahead here, but um, you know, one pushback that people have had is that they associate this word with something having to do with Roman Catholicism. Uh, and it's not. Uh, you know, Really, the catechism uh, has been a way that Christians have taught 
for centuries, and the first Protestant catechism was actually developed by Martin Luther, and almost every Protestant church since has used the catechism. And so it really has been uh, something that's been a part of the the Protestant uh, church and the evangelical church, really, uh, I would say up until about after the time of the Civil War, when churches started using more of their denominational Sunday school materials. And then Sunday school, you know, catechism kind of got pushed to the side, but uh, but, but it didn't get replaced because it wasn't good or it wasn't effective. Um, it just got replaced more because people wanted to teach more sectarian, you know, narrow, denominationally specific doctrines, if that makes sense. And yeah. so, uh, so, so this is really an attempt to go back to, to more what's, what's the core? What are the, what are the primary things that we have to focus on? Well, we've got some people that are entering to win your book, and they've got some doozies of some uh, some definitions here. Let me read a couple of these. Uh, catechism, a great divide filled with cats. Catechism. Catechism, Latin words combining cat plus ism, which is a deep dislike of cats. Apparently, cats is the thing here with catechism. Uh, a cat is the chasm, uh, a large cave where they buried the dead people. Uh, okay. <laughs> Basic belief required for church membership. Uh, a manuscript used for Bible translations, a catechism. Something easier to say than to spell. Okay, I agree. Okay, that one I got to admit. That one's, that one's <laughs> that's, very that's good. True. I like that one. <laughs> catechism, belief you promote in your life. So got some creative ones there. Thank you guys for entering to win. We'll tell you who the winner is in just a minute uh, on who's going to win uh, the, the, the copy of his book there for putting in a definition. Israel. What is a catechism? And then let's get into some of these and actually actually do some discipleship here today. Sure. But really means question and answer format. So it's the process of asking questions and giving answers, but it specifically applies to Bible doctrine and theology. So a good catechism is going to take the most foundational questions related to belief about God, uh, the Bible, the Christian life, and mm -hmm. seek to answer those, hopefully, uh, from the scripture, as opposed to merely answering with man's opinion. So Q&A, question responded to with answer, and this is designed where a parent can ask the question, and they're teaching the child the answer, and the answer has scripture associated with it. And I got to tell you, that is exactly what you're going to get a whole lot of, is question, answer from scripture through this book. You, you, you've created this to go... To, to last an entire year, which I think is pretty incredible. Um, uh, let's let's tell me tell me the the format, and then let's hit a couple of these before I gotta let social media go. Sure. So yeah, we have uh, the fifty two. What I think are some of the most foundational Bible doctrine questions. So you can take one a week, and then uh, we give an answer. And and in the in the questions, uh, you actually find color coded uh, Bible verses that you can look up over here on the side. So as much as possible. Uh, we tried to give the answers uh, using actual quotes from the scripture in the answers. So again, if there's a way that we can pull phrases from the word of God itself as the answer, uh, and kind of comp compile them into one answer, that's what we were going for. Uh, and then, of course, the scriptures are all listed over here in the King James translation uh, for universal application. And then we have a, a little bit of application, like how can this be applied to your life so that we're not just being hearers of the word only, we want to be doers. 
some definitions of terms like, you know, here we have infirmities, right? So we're going to want to define what that means. Uh, and, and then we have uh, just a prayer that we close each lesson with. Um, and this can be used in the home uh, for family discipleship, but we've also constructed it so it could be used as a class in a church uh, with students uh, anywhere from uh, elementary age up through adult. There are lots of um, new believers classes that are using this. We actually have people using it in jail ministry because a lot of people who are who are brand new Christians, they don't know the most basic Bible doctrines. Now, these are called you called it a modern catechism. Uh, explain that. And where all did you pull this information from? Because I guess there's a lot of different question answers out there and different things people have done. Well, there's so many historic catechisms. So you go back again to Martin Luther's catechism in the 1500s, and then you had the Anglican catechism. The Presbyterians used the Westminster. The Dutch Reformed used the Heidelberg catechism. The Wesleyans, the Methodists, they had their own catechism. Almost every denomination had a catechism. The Baptists had one they called the Keech's catechism or Baptist catechism. A lot of Baptists are going, wait, we had a catechism? I didn't know we were Catholic. No, it's not Catholic. It's just question and answer on Bible doctrine. And so um, so there's a great uh, tradition or history that we could draw from to look at what were some of the main questions that have been asked for four, five centuries now uh, by the Christian church. But we wanted to try to avoid those, again, those sectarian, uh, denominationally slanted questions to just have core doctrines that all true Christians will agree upon. I'm going to read a couple of the, the questions that you ask in here, and then I want to go through a couple. Uh, but if you hear a question that you're like, ooh, hit that one, hit that one, let me know in the chat, and we'll try to get Israel to do that one, okay? Let me just read a couple questions for you here uh, th that you've got here. So, who made God? Uh, how can we know there is a God? Uh, who is God? Uh, what does God know? Are, uh, are there more gods than one? Who, um, who created everything? How did he create all things? How did God create the first man and woman? Why must God eternally punish sin? Ooh, that's a good one. How does God feel about those who perish? Um, how do we know Jesus is God's only begotten son? Uh, did Jesus sin during his lifetime? You, I mean, and again, you got a whole bunch of them. I've just read a handful there. L let's take one and let's run through this. And uh, do you have a do you have one right away that you want to go to as you think through what you've done? Because I got one off the top of my mind that I picked out. Well, let's let's go to shift. yours first. Let's go to yours. Okay, I was thinking, okay, number 14, what is the purpose of God's law? If you ask the question to a kid, what's the purpose of God's law? That's number 14. Um, talk through that with me. Yeah. So what we do is we give an answer. And again, we're trying to draw from the words of Scripture uh, as much as possible. And then we reference the Scriptures here uh, in the text itself, or, or the answer itself. So what was the, what is the purpose of God's law? Answer, the law was given so we could become aware of our sin, Romans 3, 19 through 20, Romans 5, 20, Romans 7, 7, and see our need for a Savior, Galatians 3, 24 through 26. So we're trying to make the answers short, um, so that hopefully they can be memorized. Now, it's not imperative that everyone has to memorize this, but uh, our family is actually going through memorizing these together as a family. And so we wanted it to be something that's within range. So again, the law was given so we could become aware of our sin and see our need for a savior. What's great about that is if your child memorizes that and, and somebody asks them, you know, what's the purpose of, of the law anyway? Like, why do we need it? Well, they can give 
a one sentence answer that's based on scripture. And then we have all these scriptures. I think we've got seven different passages of scripture that we draw from. And the text is all right there uh, that you can read. What we've been doing is assigning these uh, to our children. Of course, we have so many children that we can give seven verses. And, you know, there's still some children who don't get to read them uh, because we have 11, you know. But anyway, <laughs> um, so for some of you, you may have to have your children read maybe two verses, but we assign them each a different passage. And so it engages them. And so we call on them and we'll say, OK, now it's your turn. Read Romans 7, 7 and they get to read. So it, it helps them to be engaged in Bible time, too, because it's not just dad reading it all. Uh, we're, we're actually throwing it back to them and, and they're getting very engaged. And it's been a lot of fun. I got to tell you, for myself, growing up doing family devotions, my sister is in here, my brother's in the office over there. We will tell you, we loved family devotion time. And my dad always made it fun. And uh, Marlis and Kenando, I, I, I wish I could talk to you right now, but like they, they would say, my dad's favorite thing, he would get a box of raisins. And he would ask questions, and the winner got a raisin. Or he would get an apple. And he would slice it as thin as he possibly could, which we thought was awesome. Now, as an adult, I'm like, oh, you were just making it last longer so you could ask more questions. But the, the question, answer, and whoever gets it right gets a prize. Your kids love to succeed at things. And when you can create an environment for family devotions where dad or mom or together, hey, can ask some questions, going to win a prize, use money, use nickels, dimes, pennies, quarters, I don't know, Apple Pay, whatever you got to do. Do something that incentivizes them learning because I guarantee the kids will learn these catechisms and memorize them if you incentivize it. All right, who can remember the definition of this? Oh, so close. You're only going to get half an apple for that one. Do uh, you think you got it? And actually have them repeating it over and over and over. Repetition really is one of the keys there. So I think it'd be, I think it'd be really, really good if you guys got this and did that with kids or grandkids because it's both training time and it's a bonding time where you're passing down the truth of the Christian faith. Um, how about uh, number 20? How does God feel about those who perish? I mean, you, you actually get into stuff here that's um, it's very apologetic. It's very, how do we defend this? What do we say? And, and while, before you get to that, let me tell you why. I, another reason why I think this is so important. Uh, my son, Jordan, and I were just part of a, um, I would call it, I don't, I'm not, not bragging on us, but I would call it a program that is set up as an elite program for fathers and sons teaching manhood. And as we went through this program, it's both physical and it's classroom time. As we went through this program, um, I found myself, Israel, incredibly frustrated because the pro this particular program, they were trying to teach the, the principles. It's almost like they were hitting service level stuff, but they never told you the why or where does that come from? They never got down to you are made in the image of God. I mean, all the way even down to that foundation or you're going to be held accountable to God for what kind of a man you are. It was be tough, be strong, be responsible. So a lot of like good concepts, but they never told you the why. And I just, I couldn't help but go, there's going to be a lot of young men that go through this program that, that don't have the mooring now, that don't have the foundation for the why they should be that way. Yes, they're being challenged by, a, by an expert to be that way, but why is the real question. 
And that's ultimately what you're doing here is you're getting all the way down to the why behind this. And I think that's why that's incredibly important. Okay, sorry, that was just my experience here this last week and a half. And I'm, I, I, I just, I felt so, I, I've literally written three pages of notes on this program going, we got to get this done right. This is, uh, it, it did show me though a huge need for fathers and sons and fathers desiring to be good fathers and sons not knowing how to be good sons. There is a huge need for education there. Anyway, we can, yeah, we can talk about that later. Wow. Maybe. Okay. How does God feel about those who perish? So let me just read some scriptures first, right? Because these are sometimes where we have these denominational biases, but I just want to read the word of God this time. And I'll give you the answer after having read this. So Ezekiel 18, 23, how does God feel about those who perish? Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? Ezekiel 18, 32, for I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. Uh, Ezekiel 33, 11, say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked that the wicked may turn from his way and live. Turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Um, and then Second um, Peter 3, 3, 9, how the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. First uh, Timothy 2, 4, uh, speaking of the Lord, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So this is what the Word of God says, right? So this is not my opinion versus your opinion. This is the Word of God. So this is how I answer it. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, Ezekiel 18, 23, 32, and 31, 33, 11, but instead desires all men to come to repentance and be saved, 1 Timothy 2, 4, 2 Peter 3, 9. What's interesting about this is that this definition is lifted exactly from Scripture. This is yeah. just quoting the scripture in the answer. And there are people who don't like the answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what happens is if you find that you disagree with the word of God, one of you has to shift and it's not going to be God. And so it's interesting how there are some times where we have these biases, right, that we bring into uh, the reading of the scripture, and we are informed by, you know, hundreds of hours of listening to the theologians and so forth, as opposed to just simply looking at what does the scripture itself actually say. So the goal of this is to use the scripture, the word of God is the authority, not the opinions of man, but the word of God is the authority and give an answer that's directly from scripture. Uh, one of our partners, Jordan, uh, not my son, Jordan, at least I don't think that's you. I think that's a different Jordan uh, on today. Uh, is wondering what are what are some of the earliest kinds of catechisms? But really, it's they would be very similar to what exactly what you're yeah. doing here. But they're very similar. That again. There, there were times though in church history where they were trying to posit what makes our group or sect different and distinct from all these other groups and sects, right? And so they would dial down sometimes on very specific distinctives and say, this is why we believe this, and this is why these other people who call themselves Christians who don't believe exactly the same way that we do on these points are wrong, right? So there was even distinctives and denominations and all that with those earlier catechisms. Uh, you, you know, one, one of them, which I won't name, but one of them actually says like, here's why we believe Anabaptists are heretics. <laughs> well, I mean, that's not what we're doing, right? We're, we're not trying to get into battles and wars between denominations. We're saying, what are the core essential doctrines 
that all true Christians for 2,000 years have all held in common, that we all agree upon, and that the Scripture is plain and clear about. We don't get into the divisiveness of the secondary doctrines. Local churches can teach their distinctives to their members on those issues. We're trying to focus on what are the universal core principles that, uh, the guide, that define what Christianity is. I'm curious about this when it comes to parenting and training. Um, what do you think? Who, who's doing it right and who's doing it wrong? Like, or I don't know, maybe I could ask it like this. How should we do it right? And what does it look like if we're doing it wrong? And I, and I get it. You, you literally travel to conferences that have like 12 sessions on nothing but this question. And I'm wanting you to answer it in less than two minutes. Uh, but what does it look like when you're doing it right? What's it look like when you're doing it wrong? Is there some principles or some ideas or some resources you can send us to that, that address that? Yeah, I, I think one of the main things in terms of discipling our children is, first of all, that the Word of God has to be authority. This book is not the authority, but it's it's literally just kind of topically compiling the Word of God. So this is like scriptures that are compiled topically, but the Word of God has to be the authority, right? And so that has to be first and foremost. And the second thing is, I think as parents, we have to systematically teach our children uh, the scriptures and teach them Bible doctrine and to do something is better than to do nothing. And so I know some dads who are so afraid to open the Bible and read it to their children because they weren't discipled. They didn't have family devotions. They don't know what they're doing. Men don't like doing things that they're not good at. And yet if it's five minutes a day um, and you're consistent with it, you're going to see fruit from that. And so I think doing something where you just open the Bible, you read some verses, you pray together uh, you, you know, you don't have to, your your family to devotion time or, or discipleship time doesn't have to look like everybody else's, right? Uh, but but you need to do something. I mean, Deuteronomy six and Proverbs twenty two six and Ephesians six four they all tell us parents this is our responsibility, especially fathers. And so I really encourage dads, you know, just jump in. And what's great about a book like this is it's fail proof. Like it guides you. You can't mess it up, and it's all right there for you to do it. Just you know, taking a lesson a day or however you want to structure it. So using resources like that can be really helpful. Well, let me give away a couple of these resources. Uh, thank you guys for playing along with our little balderdash game of what is a catechism. Uh, to our Creation Today partners, the one who said, something easier to say than spell. I resonate that. So John, you are going to win a copy of this book. Uh, and then a deep dislike for cats or of cats. Uh, Gary, you get this because I am in total agreement with you. Uh, on the Creation Today Facebook page, if you're watching there, Honeybee, a great divide filled with cats. Honeybee, you are the winner of this book. And then on the Eric Coven Facebook page, what you call the situation uh, at the crazy cat lady's house, a catechism. Ryan, you are the winner of this book. Uh, for, for Honeybee and for Ryan on social media, if you can email me, uh, comments at creationtoday.org, comments at creationtoday.org. I'll get that book right out to you. It's a digital copy, so you'll be able to go through it very, very quickly uh, today after you get your copy. We'd love to see that. Hey, for those of you on social media or on our television program or listening to the podcast, thank you guys for tuning in. You guys are peeking into a community of people that are being discipled week after week to be everything God has called us to be. I'm going to continue the conversation about catechisms with Israel Wayne. If you want the rest of the conversation, come on over to creationtoday.org, creationtoday.org. Become a partner with us, and you'll get access not only to the rest of this conversation, but every conversation we've ever had. We're coming up on 365 now, 
that you can enjoy. And there's so much great content uh, that I just, I want you to be everything God has called you to be. And so that's why we do these programs to disciple you one person at a time, I guess, one, one subject at a time as we go through this. So thank you guys for joining me uh, next week. Darwin Spinches. Oh, this is going to be good. Uh, we're actually talking to Dr. Brian Thomas because I, you hear phrases. And if you, if you ever hear an atheist, uh, YouTube channel or an evolutionist YouTube channel, they'll talk about evolution is the change in allele frequencies over time. And we are blowing that out of the water. That is done. You got to listen to Dr. Brian Thomas and I, we're going to be discussing uh, Darwin's finches and his own finches are crying foul to evolution. Okay. It doesn't happen the way they've described it. I cannot wait for that. It's going to be a great scientific and intellectual conversation around the truth of the genetics and the finches and other animals that we see today and what they're really showing us. It is profound. So join me next week as we talk about that. Until then, please share your faith with somebody you care about, a friend, a loved one, even a stranger. Love people by sharing God's truth with them. If you want to grab a copy of Israel's book, you can get that from creationtoday.org. You can get that from uh, Family Renewal. Uh, what's the dot? Family Renewal. Israel.org. Dot org. Yeah, yeah. Familyrenewal.org. I, I never can remember. Net.org.com. All those. Okay. Familyrenewal.org. You can get that. You can follow him there. He's got an email list you can sign up for to get his material and encourage you to do that. So please check out familyrenewal.org and be a part of him. Is there anywhere else they should go, Israel, to, to get your content or con content? Yeah, or is if, that... they wanna, if they want to book me to speak at their church or a conference or event, uh, israelwayne.com. So my name, israelwayne.com. And then I have an apologetic site at christianworldview.net. christianworldview.net, israelwayne.com, familyrenewal.org. Fantastic. Hope you guys got those memorized or write them down. Better yet, text them to somebody so you'll have them in your phone and then go check that out. Let's keep preparing ourselves to be everything God has called us to be because soon we're going to meet him face to face. And you do not want to hear. He chose poorly. No, you want to hear this. You have chosen wisely. Choose wisely, my friend. Please choose wisely. Until next week, God bless you.